morning, everybody. Welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon Series for August. I'm Alan Major over the CPA firm of Smith & Howard, and it's my pleasure to serve as the Chamber's Chairman of the Board for 2020. So thank you for your time today to join us for this virtual event. One day soon, we will get back to lunch in person. We are heading in that direction, and hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. But before we get to today's program, I want to recognize and thank our luncheon series naming sponsor and call on Lindsay Petrini, the Chief Operating Officer at Wellstar North Fulton Hospital. You should also know that Lindsay is your chamber's incoming chairman of the board for 2021. Lindsay, please. Hi, good morning. I'm so glad to be here and uh, to support the Greater North Fulton Chamber with this luncheon series. Um, and as we've continued to be online through these series, um, continue to support the chamber, and we appreciate everybody attending today. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about um, some of the things that have been going on here at Wellstar. Um, we have expanded our occupational health services, and so for the businesses uh, on the phone who need any services related to injury management, uh, pre-employment screenings, work, uh, uh, physical examinations for work, um, we can offer that now um, at our Wellstar Urgent Care Centers uh, on Upper Hembry Road. And so we'll be doing that. Actually, we'll start September 8th. But for anyone that is interested in learning more about what we can do for your business, um, for workers' comp or occupational medicine, um, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I've got a phone number here that you can call, but I would just encourage everybody, I think most of the individuals on the phone know me or know how to get a hold of me. Um, you may just give me a call or shoot me an email and say, I want to know more and I'll connect you again. Thank you so much for being on the call, uh, being on the um, zoom today and look forward to getting to see everybody in person. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Lindsay. We appreciate Wellstar's support of our chamber with this sponsorship of the 2020 chamber luncheon series. Now we'll hear a few remarks from today's presenting sponsor. This is the seventh consecutive year that Renaissance Bank has sponsored the August lunch event. I'd like to ask Amy Terry, one of our foundation trustees, to give us an update on the bank. Amy, please. Thank you, Alan. Renaissance Bank is very glad to once again support the August Chamber event that recognizes small business and small business owners. Renaissance Bank has focused on small business relationships for over 117 years, and we were very pleased to have assisted over 10,500 small businesses with their CARES Act Paycheck Protection Program, or also known as PPP, um, during these unprecedented times. And our hope is that with every loan, we were able to support and contribute to the communities that we serve. I personally processed over 60 PPP loans, and it was very rewarding to assist my existing and new small business clients. The next step right now is assisting those clients with the loan forgiveness process. And Renaissance Bank has created a secure customer portal to provide our clients with the best customer experience as they navigate the loan forgiveness process. This secure portal will be used to collect the information required to process their loan forgiveness application. And just in case you missed it, Renaissance Bank was named one of the world's best banks by Forbes in its Best Banks 2020 report. I am proud to be part of Renaissance Bank. I'm thankful that Renaissance Bank has been very supportive to me personally to be able to be involved in the Greater North 
Chamber. Once again, we are glad to be making this our seventh year in a row, supporting this Chamber Luncheon Series, and thank you for attending. Thank you very much, Amy. We appreciate Renaissance Bank's tremendous investment in this chamber, your investment in the North Fulton community, and your continued support of our events. I'd also like to thank our media sponsor, John Ray, and North Fulton Business Radio X. John is reporting our session this morning, so if you miss something, you'll have another shot at it. <laughs> now on with our program, it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator, my longtime friend and former banker, Scott Hilton, who serves as the executive director for the Georgians First Commission under the office of Governor Kemp. The Georgians First Commission is very laser focused on streamlining government to make Georgia the most attractive state for small businesses. You've done a great job so far and I like the trend you're heading on, Scott. Prior to this role, Scott spent a career in commercial banking, which is where I got to know him, at a regional financial institution and also served as a state representative in the Georgia General Assembly. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today to talk about the road to economic recovery for Georgia's small businesses. Scott, please, microphone's yours. Alan, thank you so much for that warm introduction. Always good to see you. I, I wish I could see you, brother, in person here and give everybody on the phone a, a, a hug and a handshake, and uh, hopefully we'll get there uh, sometime soon. Uh, again, everyone joining uh, this morning for what is a very important conversation, and we've got some awesome panelists uh, that I'm going to help moderate here in a couple minutes, but wanted to touch on uh, what, what Alan introduced here is the Georgians First Commission. So uh, about a year, year and a half ago, the governor impaneled a commission, uh, wisely so, to look at uh, what is a state uh, to help grow small business. And and the rationale being uh, that small business really is the lifeblood of our state's economy. And so if you, you peel back the numbers a little bit, uh, which, which we've done, um, about 70% of all registered businesses here in Georgia, 10 or fewer employees. So, so 70% of all business entities here in Georgia have 10 or fewer employees. So um, small business, like I said, really run our state. I know a lot of the large companies we're familiar with, but, but the everyday, uh, it, it's the small business owner that, that makes it happen. So uh, he uh, asked myself, 15 small business owners from across the state, to look at a couple things. Number one, how can we reduce red tape that a small business owner has to deal with on a day in and day out basis, right? So large companies have teams of staff to deal with the government red tape and, and to navigate through it. But a lot of times a small business owner wears a lot of different hats and, and they're working 16 hours a day and time literally is money for a small business. And so to have to deal with, with government red tape on top of that uh, is uh, not a very good thing. And so uh, we went out and found 17 other states, bipartisan states, Republican states, Democrat states, that have had some form of a red tape cutting initiative. Uh, we, we studied those and came up with a program for the governor to implement here in Georgia uh, that'll help buy our regulatory code, streamline it, and make it easier for the small business owner to digest and deal with on a day in and day out basis. And so you'll see that the rollout here the next few months. What I also looked at was the state ourselves. 
how much uh, do we spend as a state on small business? Uh, are we really putting our money where our mouth is? And so we looked at the procurements. You know, where do we procure our goods from and services from? And it was fascinating when we started to back the data. We found the state spends about eighty percent of tax dollars on large business. And so in our mind, that was a huge opportunity to help move that needle a little bit to put more of those state resources and that spend towards small business, uh, which, like I said, is the lifeblood of the economy. So we've made some recommendations there. Uh, again, you'll start to see realtors and real wins begin to flow into the small business community right here in, in Georgia. And then finally, we looked at uh, how do we spur entrepreneurship uh, in our state, right? So we all know that about a third of the Fortune 500 companies uh, are going to turn over the next five to seven years. And we believe that that next great idea, the next Fortune 500 company is probably right here in the state. And so how do we make it easier for them? And so um, one of the things we found is a lot of states have gone to this one-stop shop business site, meaning that right now for a small business owner, you may have to go to Department of Revenue for one task, the labor for another, Secretary of State for another. We want to bring it all under one umbrella, one roof uh, to make it easier for you to navigate things done, a single sign-on where you can deal everything you need with government, get in, get out. And like I said, time is money for you. Save that time so you can be more productive and drive revenue and earnings for your for your business. So, some of the exciting things that, that we've got going on with the com- uh, with the commission, and about a ninety page report uh, to the governor. Him and his team have that now, and uh, and you'll start to see some of those things executed and rolled out here in the coming months. But wanted to give this group uh, an early preview of, of what that looks like. But I'll close with this. The small business, the, the governor himself is a small business owner. It's, it's in his blood. He's an entrepreneur. And so uh, he knows the struggles that you've dealt with, especially at, over the last few months. And, and uh, I congratulate him and thank him for uh, studying the health data, being just totally ingrained in that. Uh, not only that, but balancing the economic impact uh, that we're facing, this sort of dual threat. And, and it's not easy. Envy him. I don't think he's getting a lot of sleep right now. Um, but know that he's fighting just as hard to keep us safe uh, from a public health perspective, but also keep Georgia's economy uh, running and growing. Uh, it should. And so I, I think he's struck uh, one of the, the better balances we've seen nationwide. And uh, because of that, Georgia continues to kind of turn along and, and will probably bounce back better, uh, than a lot of other states uh, may do so. So with that, I would love to transition to highlight the rock stars that we've got on the phone here to talk about their small business experience throughout this COVID crisis that we've been facing. So it's my pleasure to uh, introduce them, allow you to hear from their stories of how they've navigated through this economic recovery and hear their stories of hope that will hopefully give your business some hope of, okay, we can do this and we're in this together. Our first panelist is Ryan Pernice. Uh, he owns three local restaurants with his brother Daniel, Table and Maine, Osteria Matone in Roswell, and Coalition Food and Beverage in Alpharetta. He is a Roswell resident of 25 years. Ryan is an alumnus of Roswell High School. 
graduated with distinction from Cornell uh, School of Hotel Administration, lived in New York City for a while. We won't hold that against him. Uh, he, he's an acclaimed restaurateur and moved home in 2011 to open Table in Maine. Uh, now, Ryan, early on in the pandemic, you transformed Table in Maine into a soup kitchen, donating meals at no charge to the newly food insecure. And since the beginning of the pandemic, you have fed more than 9,700 people during a very difficult time. Could you walk us through what are some of the challenges that you face then, continue to face now, and what led you to open the, the soup kitchen? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the introduction and thanks to the Chamber for, uh, for having us on. So let me take you a little bit through the timeline of, of where we've been and where we are and where we're going. Um, before COVID, we had three restaurants, as was mentioned, our, our company revenues north of $6 million. We've got three separate concepts. We had 120 employees spread across those three restaurants. Uh, now, working in food and beverage, that kind of goes up and goes down. We have more in the summer. We have less in the winter. But it was about 120 as we entered the pandemic, uh, around March 13th or 15th around then. Um, certainly, once the state of emergency hit and restaurants shut down, there was all this uncertainty going around. We tried to figure out how we were going to endure for however long when we couldn't operate our dining rooms. And like many restaurants, we pivoted, which is now, along with the new normal, one of my least favorite words, we pivoted from in-room dining to fully takeout to go, moving all three restaurants, combining them into one kitchen. So Coalition, Table Main, all combined into Osteria Matone. It was our biggest kitchen. Uh, it's the only one that has a pizza oven. Pizza was a big part of our to-go. So we said, you know, we're, we're going to hold the line here and do one menu featuring the greatest hits of all three restaurants out of Osteria Matone. That allowed me to, to control costs a little more. It kind of had some morale boosting to keep all the team together. We laid off about 80 of our employees from 120 and decided we were going to hold the line at all of our salary managers and a number of our employees um, making those decisions based on full-time versus part-time status and tenure. So basically using those two things as our filters, we kind of said, look, we're going to keep this core team of 40 people working out of Osteria, doing takeout and to-go. Um, that was the plan. The good news is that plan worked, and we had you know, a pretty healthy to-go business for a while, but given that we wanted to hold it 40 people, we quite literally had too many cooks in the kitchen, um, which, given the circumstances, was a good problem to have. But I had to pull some people out of each other's way because we were going to kill ourselves if we all had to be in that kitchen working out together. So... Using that as our sort of look, we, we've got the team, we've got the resources with two of our restaurants, Coalition and Table in Maine, sitting idle. Looking around, we thought, well, we know there's a need for food from the newly food insecure, and the face of food insecurity looked a lot different in March, April, and May than it traditionally has. So given that we had the resources and we saw the community need, we said, look, let's do what we do best and see if we can't feed some people. So we used Table and Main to pivot towards a soup kitchen we call Table and Aid, because I love a good pun. Uh, and we decided, you know, we're going to food as, feed as many people as we can for as long as we can and however that looks like. Um, you know, we can cook, we can serve, we've got the space. That was something we wanted to do. So this effort, Table and Aid, operated for about three months, serving an average of 152 people a day and ended up at the end of its run serving 9,723 people. 
Um, the effort was really key for us from a lot of different perspectives. So number one, it allowed our staff to keep a connection to the sort of hands-on visceral hospitality. That's why we got into this business. As I'm sure Tay, who you'll hear from later, would agree, we didn't get into restaurants because we love shoving food in a paper bag and putting it through your driver's side window. We got into hospitality because we like dealing with people and having some interaction with them across whatever magic happens in a table in a dining room. So we missed that. Uh, and I needed my team to see that that didn't go away just because the pandemic happened. So while we had this core group working on the for-profit project at Osteria, we also kind of deputized a number of people to go down the street to table and name and operate this, this soup kitchen. Um, what we didn't expect was as any restaurant knows, you order a bunch of food from your purveyors and when restaurants stop ordering, the food in their warehouses just kind of sat there. So a lot of our purveyors said, well, we've got to move this food somewhere. So they ended up delivering truckloads full of produce and full of, you know, we get weird stuff like mozzarella and, and hummus and our chefs at Table and Name, it was sort of like that uh, TV show where you open up your fridge and see what you've got and cook a meal from it. But Jess and her team down at Table and Name did a great job of taking all this food and turning it into really healthy, delicious meals. We would have been proud to serve in the restaurant anyway. So every day from 11 to two or three, um, we'd have a line out the door. We'd be passing food out up to six per person. Um, and we would feed not only people who themselves needed the food, but also people who would then take it and deliver it to homebound seniors or others who couldn't get there. This also had uh, the wonderful impact of really galvanizing the community towards this need. And we received thousands of dollars from over 350 individual donations from the community. Fast forward to today, we have people tell us in our dining rooms, we are here because of the community efforts you did during the pandemic to feed people. And seeing that community support made us want to come and support you in turn. So I think, you know, entrepreneurs, we look for the win-win. You know, being dealt such a terrible hand in this year, it's in our DNA to still find how we can find the win-win for the community, for the business, for our employees, for everybody. Uh, and this really was one of those. Uh, fast forward to today, we decided to open up all of our restaurants for outdoor dining on May 25th, and then we opened all our indoor dining subsequently on April 1st, uh, no, I'm sorry, June 1st. So we are now back to indoor dining and outdoor dining. We have not gone to full capacity when the governor handed down the capacity constraints back in the day. We stayed at those seating levels inside. So if you enter the restaurants, there's still well more than six feet before the tables and all those good things. Um, because I, I typically describe our demographic as my friend's parents. So they're of a demographic that would appreciate that we've stuck to those safety guidelines. Um, I think what's important throughout this process has been the level of innovation across small business right now is just out, outstanding. <laughs> um, we're all doing some weird off the wall things to try and see what works. You know, table name is doing picnic baskets out on the patio. We bought a pasta extruder and are doing six course pasta dinners at Osteria Matone. So what's been key is our ability to try new things, even if they don't exactly stick so closely to our concept. Osteria did a taco night during the pandemic. It's an Italian restaurant. What are we doing tacos? But man, they sold well. So I think that's been key. Um, being present on social media and telling the story of why it's safe to dine in our restaurants and me getting on. Um, I've been doing a lot of online Facebook lives to say, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're still staying safe. Uh, those things have been really well received. And then sticking to excellence in your operations. You know, we, we can't control the pandemic. We can't control the weather, but we can control 
how well we take care of you when you do choose to dine out. So I think those three things, innovation, social media presence, and a, a focus on excellence in the operation has really helped us be um, as, as successful as we've been since we had to shut down. Ryan, that, that's awesome. And, and we appreciate everything that you're doing to keep uh, your clientele safe and, and healthy during this time. I'll, I'll ask you, since we got a few minutes here, one question did come in, the, the chat feature there. Um, how did you kind of fund or, or go out funding that kind of table and main or table and aid concept of that, that kitchen? Was it through kind of a cash flow or, or maybe talk about that? We had some cash coming through through our to-go operations. At the height of the to-go operations, we were doing about $5,500 a day in to-go. Um, and, you know, Monday we'd do less and Saturday we'd do more. So that provided enough to get us started and, and push push the ball down the hill or up the hill, wherever we are on the hill. Um, but those, those um, donations from our community really helped defray those costs as well as some of the donations we received from suppliers you know, I can't underscore the importance of some groups, Cisco and, and U.S. Foods, really truckloads of food showed up at Table Man. We don't have that much space to put it, so that was a challenge in and of itself. But we got a lot of food from our suppliers, and I really appreciate their, their help to defray the costs. That's awesome. Ryan, thank you again for, for sharing that story and anything you're doing for uh, the, the community. I know it's not easy right now, especially in your industry, so just keep up the great work. and And everyone... Uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll let, put in one more plug. If you name kind of your, your different restaurant concepts so that we can make sure everyone goes out and uh, some dinner tonight at, at one of them. Why don't you give a plug one more time? Yeah, we've got Table Main, which turned nine years old this year. So coming up on 10, that's simple seasonal Southern cuisine right in downtown Roswell. Osteria Matone is your Roman Roswell. We've got authentic Italian cuisine focusing on Roman fare. Uh, a little more upscale tablecloths. It's, it's for a nicer meal and that kind of thing. Our new six-course pasta tasting menu has been a huge hit over there. And we've got our, our baby, our two-year-old restaurant over in Alpharetta, Coalition Food and Beverage, sort of an updated American diner. TV's in the bar, a little more raucous, got a killer burger and that sort of thing at Coalition. I'm getting hungry just hearing you talk about it. So Good. That's awesome. Well, um, again, thank you, Ryan, for, for your story. Um, now I'd like to welcome Amanda Wilbanks, uh, owner and founder of the Southern Baked Pie Company. Uh, so if you weren't hungry already, now we're going to talk about baked pies. Amanda started her business out of her kitchen eight years ago with a thousand business cards and three oven basement and has turned it into a national business featuring multiple retail store locations and a 6,000 foot production facility. Earlier this year, she was honored as a 2020 small business rock star by the Georgia Department of Economic Development. Amanda, tell us about some of the unique challenges that you faced, especially with nationwide delivery of your pies during a pandemic and what it's like when you were recognized as a Georgia small business rock star uh, as we as we got into COVID here. So, Amanda, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, and we'd love to hear your comments. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is a little crackly here. But um, I'll just kind of start by ways that um, some things that we did that I feel like really helped our business pivot, which obviously is one of my least favorite words at this point um, during this time of the pandemic. But we we obviously had no option. We have um, four retail bakeries in Buckhead, Alfreda, Vinings, and Gainesville. And it was all walk-in traffic. So we redesigned our stores so that there were tables at the door that blocked you from coming in. So you had to 
come up to the, the door. It was the same takeout, you know, situation that I think everybody was doing. But we were determined that we were going to try and we were going to make our employees feel as safe as possible, plus stay open um, as long as we could, because we're an eight year old business at this point. And of course, shutting the stores would, would have been super difficult. So we transitioned to where you couldn't walk into the stores at all. And and that helped us with cash flow and with keeping all of our employees employed. We have um, 40 employees on staff and we did not end up having to let go of anybody. Thank goodness, because we were able to keep the stores open for just that come to the door and and take out your product. Um, We are a sweet and savory pie shop. So we, I felt like had a little bit of an advantage, much like a restaurant. We had dinner to go. Um, And I think we would have really struggled had we not had that savory aspect of chicken pot pies and pot roast pies. And at the time people were definitely craving that rather than, a sweet pie at $35 when people are in the middle of a pandemic um, and kind of squeezing tight, I think, to their money. Thank goodness we had the savory aspect. So what we did was we transitioned our marketing to focus mainly on the utility of our product and the ease of our product and the healthiness of our product and as a one-stop shop for dinner. And then we tried to add in the dessert piece, but that is what really transitioned our company. Um, We started using something called Springbot which helped further segment our email list for in-store customers versus shipping customers versus Buckhead customers. We were able to dig deep. Um, We have one person on staff that is fully devoted to our email marketing and social media. So we really started to use programs that would help us target a customer a lot better rather than sending out mass emails about, oh, you can come and pick up to-go food um, and these wonderful chicken pot pies. We really tried to target the Buckhead customer, the Alpharetta customer. And so that really transformed our marketing. And that's a company that all of us could have access to and could use. And it's called Springbot. Another thing that we did with Springbot is you can do text message marketing. So you really can get specific with your customers. We started breaking them up into age, into demographics, um, and really sending specific text messages that we felt like would resonate with them. And we saw a huge spike in takeout business due to that. Another thing we did through Springbot, which we had never done before, and in eight years of business, we have never paid for advertising. We decided to do internet ads um, because based on the data, we could see that people were looking for food and they were searching for dinner to go and easy pickup options. And we invested $100 um, the first month of February, just when everything was beginning on ads. And in one month, um, we did $35,000 worth of sales off of one $100 ad. So, of course, then we march, we upped it to a thousand dollar ad spend and just kind of have kept going from there. And we've seen on average a, a, a 23 times return on our investment with Springbot and the Internet ads. So that truly transformed um the way we market, uh, we used to never do that. So that is something we hope to continue doing for a while. Um, another thing that we decided to do is we decided to reach out to other people that were in similar industries with us. I, I got on the phone in February to one of my friends who owns Callie's Little Biscuit. She has a biscuit shop in Atlanta. And I said, what can we do to partner together to bring our products? Because people need breakfast. They need dinner. How can we partner together to bring a bundle to people's houses? Um, and so what we did with that is we did a um, two-week-long email marketing campaign. She shared all of her email list with us. We shared it with 
with her. Basically, she was marketing to her email list, all of our products. We were marketing all of her products to our email list. Um, and in two weeks, we did a little over $75,000 worth of sales in a biscuit and pie bundle. And we called it breakfast in bed. Um, and then we had another dinner bundle, which was dinner straight to your door. So it was a great way. I don't think we would have gotten those sales had we not reached out and tried to partner and get her customer base to get to know our customer base and vice versa. Um, so we got an exposure to customers we had never even you know, talked to before and may not have had the opportunity to tell our story to or share our products with. Um, so I really encourage partnering with other businesses locally and Cali is actually based out of South Carolina. So, so branching out to get a different customer demographic um, exposed to your product. Um, one place that we really struggled was we, we have an online e-commerce where we ship pies all over the United States. And we went from shipping um, a couple hundred packages a day to um, a couple thousand. And we were shipping three days a week. We had never seen that type of volume before. Um, but due to those internet ads and the pandemic, um, the the web sales went insane. So we had to to staff up um, and to redesign in the midst of all of it some of our packaging, and then we began to deal with with um, UPS not getting the packages there. So we would have um, sometimes 100 to 150 packages per shipment that wouldn't make it there. So then we had to bring in a customer service team that would help um, build some of the problems, which we had never had to do before with when people's shipments didn't arrive and then the whole reshipment process. So that was a big challenge for us. I think we've overcome it and it's improved and gotten a lot better. Um, we extended our transit time by adding more dry ice so that if the package didn't make it there in time, it would be okay for four to five days sending out. Um, so we incurred more costs, but um, it, it worked out for the better in the end. And I think the customers were happier. We were happier. Um, I'm trying to go fast. Another thing that we we really pushed was um, we did a new marketing strategy. Typically, we will send an email and we'll say, hey, the pie of the month this year, it's our um, apple crumble, whatever it may be. And we'll say, you can go ahead and order now. And that would be our introduction email. Well, we switched to a strategy of where we toss the new product out there. We tease it up and we say, hey, pre-orders will go live for this on Friday. We'll throw it out there on Wednesday, send it to the whole client list. Pre-orders go live on Friday. Friday, they pre-order. Saturday, we would send out an email that said, order in the next 24 hours and you get a free gift with purchase, a free petite pie. And so that would, what would happen is we would get a, a spike the first day we sent the email and then the very last day when we said last chance email, but we, it would spike and then it would go flat and then it would spike again. We were trying to figure out how we could engage people longer and not have the dip. So with doing that, we noticed the sales came in, a lot more sales came in, people got excited, they loved the free option. And then I transitioned, used to, I would send a last chance email and I would send it one time on a Sunday. Now I send three last chance emails and it is amazing the amount of people we have captured on that third email that we've actually sent because people get busy. They check their first email. Something comes up. They're at work. They're at home. They're with kids. The next email they may miss. But by the third one, it seemed that we were recapturing those lost abandoned cards. Um, so those are some of the ways that we pivoted and tried to get creative. Um, and, and now we're just we're, we're trying to survive still every single day. Um, so I hope that was helpful if I can touch on anything else. I will say also we took this time when it was a little bit slower. We saw the huge peak in people wanting mail order food and takeout 
um, March, April, and May, and now there's it has dipped back down. So what we've tried to do now is transition. We've redesigned our packaging, um, which was a perfect time for it to make it um, better branded. So you see it when it arrives as you drive past your house. You see it sitting on your front porch. You can see our labeling. And we've tried to take it from being a luxury item, like, oh, I buy my friend a pie for a birthday or a baby, um, to more everyday work this into your life um, and really try to focus on the price per serving rather than, oh, it's a $40 product. Here's the value you're getting. Here's how many people you can serve and for this price point. So um, trying to communicate that through some of the packaging since we don't have that one-on-one interaction with the customers every day as much as we used to. That's awesome. Well, well, Amanda, uh, thank you for the update. I've got to admit, as you were talking there, I I went to Southern Baked Pie website and and your, your pie of the month is this Georgia peach pie, which looks awesome. So, so expect a, uh, an order later today. Um, I, I want to ask you a question came up in the Q and a, you talked about uh, online advertisement. Um, someone asked, uh, did you go through uh, social media advertising Google or, or what, what platform did you use? So we've used Google in the past. I, I, I take that back. We have advertised one time in the past and it did not work out. We went directly through Google and saw no return and spent a couple thousand dollars, which is not a good thing. This time we use Springbot. You pay a monthly fee for Springbot. I think it's $600 a month and you put all your email lists into it. So we used to use Constant Contact and MailChimp and we're very hesitant to switch because we were so familiar with those those products, but we, uh, one of my team members convinced me to switch and it was by far the best thing we've ever done because you can further segment your email list and better target people that are truly interested in that one product. Um, so it, it, it changed our business. And when you get a 23 times return on an, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollar ad spend, it's like a no brainer. Might as well do it. They help you set up the ads in Springbot for the Facebook marketing. These ads were just on Facebook. They were not on Instagram. Um, so I think it's important to find where your target demographic is. Do they shop? Do they use Facebook? Do they use Instagram? Ours use Facebook. They're 55 to 65. So we put all of our Springbot ad money onto that area in Facebook. Um, we've got it. And as a reminder uh, to those of all, uh, we do have some time at the end for q and I'm trying to ask a, as we go along here while we have the speaker. Uh, Amanda, one more came through. Uh, what is the biggest takeaway you learned from this time of having to shift so quickly and so frequently? What, what's been kind of your, your takeaway from all this? I think the biggest takeaway is a process doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to make a decision and go for it and then kind of figure out some of the kinks along the way, because we made a lot of quick transitions and thought, I do not know if this will work and I don't have all the people in place, but I'm just going to kind of shoot from the hip and try it. And it's just like throwing a hundred dollars on an ad and seeing if it works and then throwing a thousand and kind of going up from there. We just started taking risks. And that's what I've learned is I'm a planner. I want everything perfect. I'm very type A. I want to micromanage it. And this pandemic has taught me that I've just got to sometimes make a decision, go with it and, and hope for the best outcome. That's awesome. Well, and I'll tell you, for those on the phone who are small business owners, I, I think, frankly, that's one of the advantages you all have during this pandemic is for larger corporations, it can be kind of turning the, the Titanic. But for small folks, you can turn and change a dime make those mistakes, recover, and, and try something different. So uh, I'm hearing a key theme today of, of innovation, responsiveness is kind of a way to get through uh, what we're facing right now. So uh, Amanda, thank you so much 
uh, for sharing. And like I said, I can't wait for my pie to arrive. Um, <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Amanda. Well, our third panelist uh, this morning is Taylor Neary. He's the co-owner and executive chef of Restaurant Homes. Taylor grew up in the Roswell Alpharetta area and putting his restaurant, worked at several well-known restaurants in Metro Atlanta. Uh, located in the historic Jones House on Alpharetta, specializes in plates to share, offering local hyper-seasonal vegetables and other unique chef creations. So if you weren't hungry already, get ready. All are cooked on a wood-fired grill. When the coronavirus changed every facet of, of our daily lives, uh, Taylor changed his business from a sit-down to a to-go that also doubled as a convenience store of sorts a little pop-up market that he liked to call Homes Bodega. Taylor, can you share with us some of the struggles that you faced and and what led to some changes for Homes that you're doing now and, and into the future? And Taylor, you may, uh, I think you're still on mute, so you may need to unmute. There we go. There you go. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the introduction. Um, COVID-19 restaurants. Uh, you know, I, I think Ryan and I can can relate significantly, both having worked in downtown Roswell, both having worked in restaurants in Alpharetta. Um, we also actually played lacrosse together in high school, so we've known each other for a while. Um, you know, it, it was it was quick. It, it happened um, kind of before we knew it. Um, and, you know, like we said, that that March 13th, 14th, 15th, whatever that the D-Day was, um, we didn't, we closed one, I think it was the 14th, we closed for dinner that night and made the decision that the next day we were going to have the dining room closed and we were going to be takeout only. Um, we created an online ordering platform just based off of our website. Um, we opened up the third party stuff, uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub. Um, and, you know, like Amanda said, we locked our front door. Um, and we put signs outside that, that redirected the guests to our kind of bar window, our service window um, that led out to the patio. Um, and, you know, at first it was we made that decision just based on the safety of, of our employees and the safety of our guests. Um, and then the next day after that, this, the city was like, you have to close your dining room. So I wouldn't say fortunately, but we were a day ahead. Um, and we already had a couple days of, of takeout business underneath our belt. Um, and once some of the restrictions started to look like loosen up, we did that for about six weeks. Um, I furloughed 13 of my 20 employees. Um, so there was a small group of us left, um, all salary people um, that stuck around and, and hung out every single day in a closed dining room, serving people through a window, um, you know, and this is, seems to be a common thread here, but the word pivot um, or shift, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, we had to do that on on a large scale because a lot of my food is best represented hot on a plate in the dining room, not necessarily put into a to-go box, into a to-go bag, put into a car and potentially, you know, ride around for 45 minutes and then get home and reheat. And so we had to make some major adjustments on, on, you know, what food we, did we think uh, that was going to carry well and, and hold over and, 
and and still create that that perceived value. And and that's something that was that was taken from us um, by not having the dining room. You know, like Ryan kind of said, we didn't start this business to to be masters at filling to go ramekins and and you know flexing on Instagram on how many to go boxes we have in the restaurant. Um, and so, like I said, you know, it happened quick, and and we made the decision that there's no insight, there's no data on, on how to do this. I can't call somebody and say, Hey, how do I run a restaurant during a global pandemic? Nobody knew it was all, it was, it was day one for every single restaurateur and employee. Um, and so, you know, we took it and we ran with it. And, um, you know, like we mentioned the, the bodega, uh, once some of the limitations were lifted and we were able to have people come inside, um, in just to the bar area, we had set up a bodega on the bar and we had bottles of wine. We had canned beers. We had merchandise. We had stickers. I mean, at that point I was willing to pretty much sell anything that I could chairs, tables, whatever, whenever anybody wanted to buy to help us out. Um, and you know, the, the support from the community was, was unbelievable. I mean, we ran a probably a 50% tip average on takeout for six or seven weeks, which I promise you in the world of restaurants that has never happened ever in the world. Um, you know, and, and we had support and people, you know, at first people were like, Taylor, what, what can we do to help, you know, short of, of coming to eat and supporting the restaurant. And, you know, at first, the first couple of weeks, my, my answer was typically, you know, just send your friends and keep supporting us. And then it just kind of never really, really got better. And that kind of just led me to finally, when people are like, what, what can we do to help? just give me money, give me money. I'll put it in the bank and that'll be the best thing he can do. Um, it surprisingly worked a couple of times. Um, but as far as like our bodega and, and kind of our takeout stuff, um, you know, again, I, I keep referencing Ryan, but our restaurants are a nine iron away from each other. So our demographic is very, very similar. Um, and, and, the, you know, this area, they like, they like the silly puns. And so, um, you know, we, we did kind of, we called it make your house a homes, um, where we did family meal kits, um, that would serve two people. Um, they came hot and ready. We did pickup times. Um, so, you know, you could get a whole fan or a, a chicken family meal that will serve two people and then a steak family meal that will serve two people. So now I've got dinner for four with some options. Um, we also did our cocktail kits, um, which, um, you know, it is open container here in, in Alpharetta, but, as far as wholesale, we, we weren't allowed to do that. So we kind of thought of the idea of creating these, you know, these experiences and these, you know, like our cocktail program is very popular here. And a lot of people come here because of that. And so we made cocktail kits that had the syrups, the fresh juices, um, you know, everything you needed minus the booze. Um, and then it came with a little recipe card and showed you how to make it individually or make it into like a large punch um, and again, you know, we did that because we were trying to curate an experience that we weren't able to offer in-house. So we tried to do something that people could go home and do it as a family, maybe not the drink part of it, but, you know, with the family meal kits, we did some dried pasta kits where you took it home and you cooked your own pasta. Uh, we messed around with some pizza kits where we made whole pizzas and froze them. And then all you had to do is come pick them up, pop them in the oven, uh, and you've got pizza for the family. Um, and those did really well. The cocktail kits probably were our number one. Uh, those really, really took off. Um, and, you know, you know, today we still have uh, our dining room is not open, uh, mainly just because of staffing. 
Um, we do have our full patio and bar available for full dining. Um, we're lucky to have one of the larger outdoor seating areas um, in this in this area. So we've got about 40 seats outside. Uh, typically, it's about 60 seats um, before the, the social distancing and, and proper spacing. Um, and, you know, the, our, our guests have been more than understanding and more than, than you know, they, they get it. And some guests walk up and they're like, what's the rules? You know, and it's, it's all new. It's new to everybody. So, um, you know, I think our, our main thing was, um, you know, the employee safety, the safety of our guests. Um, and, you know, our, our social media platform has been, has been absolutely huge for us um, with Facebook and Instagram, um, you know, really driving these new concepts and driving these new kits and th- different things that we were doing. Um, and we've seen, you know, with, with quarantine, the amount of hours people spend on social media has gone through the roof. Um, and we've noticed that with some analytics and stuff that we've ran on, on how many people are clicking on our Instagram or clicking on our Facebook page. Um, and, you know, and we're still doing, we still have a full takeout. Um, that's definitely gone down now that, that dining rooms and stuff like that are starting to open up and, you know, it's still fluctuating, but we are pushing as hard as we can and we're still successful and we still have the support from the community, which is a huge thing. That's awesome. Well, Taylor, thank you for sharing your story. I think that the key word we've heard is, is pivot innovation yeah. and amazing to see everything you guys have done to reorient your business uh, to make it work, you know, in an ever changing environment. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And then uh, this coming week, the week of the 31st, I'll be opening my second restaurant uh, at the Halcyon, which is the new development off uh, Exit 12 in Forsyth. And that is called Home Slice. And that will be our little wood fire pizza spot. Uh, and so I'm very blessed to have the ability to somehow open a restaurant during COVID when others are closing. Um, I kind of wish that I got this done a little bit earlier, considering it's a pizza takeout spot. Um, that would have seemed pretty ideal to have about four months ago. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. And we, uh, we, we've, we've executed it. It's there. Um, and we should be opening this coming Monday or Tuesday. That's awesome. Well, home slice. Uh, so be sure to check out that. That sounds delicious. Um, well, what I'd like to do now is kick it over to, uh, greater North Fulton chamber of commerce president, uh, Callie Boatwright, who will help lead a Q and a discussion for us. And, uh, I'll tell you, uh, it looks like I've got a few questions coming in here already. Um, if you have a question, you can use the chat feature there, uh, put your question in and, uh, we'll, we'll do a little Q and a session, uh, amongst our panelists here. So again, thank you to our panelists. And with that, Callie, I'll kick it over to you, uh, to help lead some of our Q and a. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. You did a great job. I appreciate you being part of this today. We may keep you. (laughs) Um, I know that the the three small business centers, uh, restaurateurs who who are with us today have hit some highlights already. Um, and I was taking notes because as a person who runs our nonprofit as well, I think a lot of the things go hand in hand. Um, and you all talked about very similar things. Number one, taking care of your teams, right? So you wanted to take care of your people, your teams. And I think that that's where it all starts. Um Innovation being key and that risk-taking is okay right now, I think is is definitely um, a key as well. And all three of you alluded to that. 
Um, I love your conversations about collaboration um, and, and how you work together, Ryan. You talked about your suppliers. Amanda, you were even talking about Callie's Little Biscuit, which since she shares a name with me, I really like that. So I think that's awesome. Um, and Taylor, I know with your cocktail, you're flexing over to the cocktail service, which I can tell you everybody at the beginning of this was um, unable to find liquor at the liquor store. So perhaps that was a saving grace for you um, in this time as well. Um, the new technology uses with uh, email and social media, I think is key as well. And I think all of us have been trying to find ways to reach those customers. We know that that's going to be key as, as the consumer confidence goes up is, is how now are they getting that information? Um, and then understanding your target demographics. It was interesting, um, Taylor and Ryan, you both were talking about your target demographics are very similar. Amanda, you actually alluded to that fact as well. Um, those are all within my demographic group. So that didn't surprise me at all, as uh, obviously all of you uh, are, are doing things that that I love to visit as well. So that was that was good to hear. Um, I know that uh, we are at the end of our time. I think we asked a lot of the questions um, during our program. So the one thing that I wanted to end on, if it's okay with all you, um, just a very quick answer to now that you're at the time where we are now, so six months into this, what is the single biggest takeaway that you think that you learned from this time and having to shift multiple times throughout it? What, what maybe is your key takeaway? And um, Ryan, since you were unmuted, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I, I think it's that the biggest advantage I think small business and entrepreneurs have is that we are nimble and able to act decisively and quickly. I think people get too hung up on being right. Um, particularly, I think my generation, we worry about what is the right choice. You know, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What's my passion? All these things. Forget about being right. Uh, I put a Facebook post out. Right is cheap these days. When everyone has a phone in their pocket that can connect them to the sum total of human information, being right is the cost of entry. So instead of right, what's necessary in a pandemic is be decisive, act quickly. And on March 13th, when we had a whole new set of cards dealt to us, I didn't worry about, we got to choose the absolute best path forward. It was, no, we got to pivot, we got to change, we got to do this now. And this is what we're going to orient ourselves towards. So the value of being decisive, acting quickly, and, and being nimble, I think, is our biggest strength as small businesses. So we really got to own that these days. Very good. Thank you. Amanda, how about you? Sorry, thank you so much. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned throughout all of this is that you really can't sweat the the like small stuff that comes up and let it hold you back. That was a big thing with me is I would stress out. We don't have the process perfect. We can't launch this. And through COVID, I just learned like we're just going to go with it and it'll be fine and, and deal with the consequences a little bit later. Keep your people safe. Keep your food product and your quality safe and good. And then just get the product out the door and get the product in your customer's hands. Like I said, we had to hire a customer service person to deal with all the screw ups that happened with UPS. Um, but you just, I just learned that you just do it and you have to make the money to stay alive. And so, uh, you know, just, you know, like Ryan said, not overthinking it and just going for it. That was the biggest thing I learned and not, you know, freaking out when it goes wrong. Right. Taylor, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I think we're all kind of in the, in the same boat here. I mean, it happened. We pulled the trigger we didn't hesitate, you know, because in, in this industry, you know, one day closed 
could somebody could walk up to the front door and be like, oh, they're not open and then may never come back. You know, so it's like there's so many X factors in this business, you know, and then as soon as you think you have all your ducks in a row, something in the kitchen doesn't work or the refrigeration is off or you don't get orders in, you know, so it's 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 one of those things where it's like if you sit here and cry over spilled milk, you're going to be crying all throughout the day. And so, you know, we had to we had to make that move and just send everything as far as we could forward. I think that's awesome. And what all three of you have just described is actually leadership, right? Being nimble and decisive. Yeah. That That is leadership. And so thank you to all three of you for being tremendous leaders um, in this industry, in our region. Um, we're so proud to have you in our, our territory as a chamber. So Scott has one final question. I said it was my last question, but he, um, he as he was the best moderator ever, we're going to let him ask one. So he's asking about whether any of the three of you utilize PPP or CARES Act dollars. Um, I'm seeing nods. Taylor, you're on. So, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, was, we did. Um, and we got ours and moved through it pretty quick. Right. Um, and I know as, as soon as we got it, it was pretty strict on how it could be applied. Um, and then some of those things loosened up a little bit. Um, and I mean, and that was crucial. It was 100% crucial. Um you know, I think I think there's a lot of places that didn't necessarily need it, but it benefited them. Um, we were kind of just on that line where it was like we potentially could have survived without it, but we had the opportunity. We took that opportunity. You know, like we talked about earlier, we got the opportunity. We took it and ran with it as soon as possible, and we applied it and we used it for our benefit to kind of keep us moving forward. Cash flow definitely is is important it's during this. Ideal. Set. Yeah, that makes sense. Amanda, you nodded yes as well, I believe. Yes. So we did get the PPP, thank goodness, on the first round. And we did take out an SBA loan. Um, Did we need the loan? I'm not sure that we needed the SBA loan, but we took it because it was such a low interest rate. And we we did want to make sure we had cash flow because I'm so glad they offered it because our fear was, okay, COVID's hit now and there's a spike in online food ordering. But how will that, how will people, their spending patterns and how will this transition into the fall, which is where we make 85% of our revenue in the last four months of the year. So, from a cash flow standpoint, we 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 needed the PPP and then the SBA. We we're like, we're going to take it um, just in case. Um, but I will say that being able to get the PPP, um, we did keep all of our employees employed. But what it did for us, it, it gave me the confidence that I've never had in eight years because we don't have outside funding and we don't have investors to take the leap of faith and invest more in um, online advertising, which actually in turn grew our business tremendously. So for us, it, it was absolutely wonderful and really helped us grow um, and, and still sustain what we had and keep our, our employees here. So I think that's a great thing about the program. That's fabulous. Yeah. Um, Ryan, what about y'all? Yeah, we also did get the PPP, which was great to bridge a, a lot of what we went through over the last five months. And I think the biggest concern for small business owners right now is just a level of uncertainty about what the next few months will bring. Now, I don't have kids, but I know parents, uh, friends of mine who do that. That's a huge question mark for everybody coming up in November. You know, it's not a political statement to say, I think everyone is aware this election is going to be nasty wherever you are on the political spectrum. You know, that is going to be, uh, I think, a drag on people's morale and, and mentality. So we got the PPP. It was great. I've heard Tay and Amanda both say, you know, we were in a, let me just get the cash and stick it in the bank. Feel good about having it kind of attitude. Um, we're we're going to stay in that mentality and probably not do anything too crazy until I have a little bit more certainty or clarity on what comes next. 
That makes sense. Um, and I, I would agree, we're going to go through a lot in the next couple of months and people are going to need things like pasta and pies and um, cocktail kits. They're going to need yes. cocktail kits. Right. Cocktail kits. So all of those. So everyone on the call, please take advantage of that with our great speakers. As we close out today's event, I do want to thank all of our panelists, um, Taylor Neary with Restaurant Homes, Amanda Wilbank, Southern Baked Pie Company, and Ryan Pernice with RO Hospitality, along with our moderator, our small business champion, Scott Hilton with the Georgians First Commission. Thank you all. Um, we cannot offer great programs like this without our sponsors. I want to thank again our naming sponsor, Wellstar North Fulton Hospital and Renaissance Bank um, for their tremendous support. Thanks, John Ray, also for, for taping us today and for supporting us as our media sponsor. I appreciate it very much. I especially want to thank all of our guests for joining us. The next Wellstar monthly event will be again virtual. That is going to happen on September 29th and the chamber will be focused on transportation with another stellar panel. We will have Griff Lynch, who is the executive director at the Georgia Ports Authority, uh, Senator Brandon Beach, who is the chairman of the Senate Transportation Committee, Representative Kevin Tanner, who's the chairman of the House Transportation Committee, and uh, excuse me, Samir Abdullahi, who is the uh, deputy director at the Economic Development um, for Fulton, Select Fulton. I want to thank uh, the North Fulton Community Improvement District, uh, Georgia Power, and the Development Authority of Fulton County for helping to sponsor that event and bring that to you in September. Finally, don't miss out. Um, if you are interested in getting involved with our biggest fundraiser um, to be capitalize on Tay's puns, um, our fundraiser will be the Golf and Tennis Classic on October 6th at the Manor Golf and Country Club. Our foursomes are sold out at this point, but we do have a few sponsorships that include uh, spots for either golf or tennis. So even if you can't attend because of COVID restrictions, you could still support your favorite restaurant by purchasing them a sign or uh, sponsoring a whole box for them to be out there, um, or certainly any of the nonprofits would appreciate that as well. Please check out our calendar of events, y'all. We have done more than 100 webinars since this went um, uh, six months ago. And so we certainly have pivoted and I agree conclusively with all of you that that is the least favorite word of 2020. Please get on gnfcc.com to check out all of our events. We hope that you all have a safe and happy Labor Day coming up and we stand adjourned. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thanks.